Alright guys, 10 years. Well, I'm Pastor Bill. If you guys don't know who I am, it's nice to meet you. I'm glad you guys are here on this special day. So today's our 10 year anniversary or birthday, wherever you want to say it. The first time we met, um, which might not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me. So a little bit about us. I know that we have new people here over the last few years who might not know our story. Gina and I, um, we went to Spain to work with Moroccans living in Madrid. That's what we did, uh, I guess, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And when we got there, it was like being hired for a job that didn't exist. Um, basically, after a few months, our team decided they were no longer going to work with Moroccans. They were going to work with Spanish youth which, you know, we didn't really have any ability to change what our focus was because we were mid-termers instead of career long-termers. Um, and so we, we stuck it out and we just prayed and figured, hey, Lord, we're here, so you have a plan, you're in control. But as the year progressed and as we kind of grew closer and closer to our anniversary, we felt like we were growing in, in frustration rather than finding more peace. We had gone to work at a community center, but then that didn't happen. And, you know, during those periods of, of, of realizing the community center wasn't going to happen and until we decided to leave, frankly, we had no idea what to do because we would walk around and we would try to find a Muslim. And then even if you found a Muslim in Madrid, which there were there, but they didn't speak English or Spanish. They spoke Arabic or Berber. And we were still learning Spanish, and we spoke a little bit of English. <laughs> but if you did find a Muslim who was spiritually open, you couldn't invite them to your church because they wouldn't come to a Spanish church, and they didn't do the same activities we did. Like, they weren't in the World of Warcraft back then. Anyway, we left Spain kind of disillusioned and disheartened trying to find a Muslim. And I remember having a conversation with Gina when I said, Let's just, let's just move to the Muslim world. Like, let, instead of being here and hoping we run into somebody who's open, like, let's just move to a country that's 100% Muslim. Like, maybe you can wear a head covering, Gina. And Gina was like, sure, sounds good. And so uh, we came back to the States, and we started gearing towards that end. Now, I want you to realize this is an important part of the story, because in hindsight, if we had known then what we know now and what we train you guys in now on a regular basis, we would not have left Spain, and I think we probably would have thrived, okay? And so the point is, as Americans, I wasn't raised uh, in the church, but Gina was, and then we obviously went to church. As Americans raised in Christianity in the United States, all we knew was what someone showed us. And if you want to reach children in America, what do you do? You do a what? A VBS. Oh, will, will the Muslim kids go to a VBS? Probably not. And if you find a friend who's interested in Jesus, what do you invite them to? Church. Well, what if your friend won't go to church? And so all of these things which Americans do wouldn't work there. But that was the only thing we knew. We were young. So after coming back home and praying over six months, we felt like the Lord was leading us towards Southeast Asia. 
And so in October 2011, we went on a vision trip. We were already more than halfway, probably three-quarters of the way through our paperwork to transition from midtermers to career missionaries working in Southeast Asia in uh, the largest Muslim country in the world. And we were in the process of applying with our same organization, these sorts of things. And while we were there, we were sitting in on a training of about 40 or 50 nationals from that country. And they were being trained, and we were having the tra training translated to us. And so we were kind of like learning by default or by accident, really, uh, about this thing that the Lord was using all over the Muslim world called disciple-making movements, and a part of which is the Discovery Bible Study, which is a simple, reproducible, scalable way of reading the Bible for evangelism, discipleship, as well as for church planning. And our team uh, in Indonesia, oh, in Southeast Asia, <laughs> our team in Southeast Asia um, had seen a movement of God where they had seen 86 churches planted in 12 generations deep among a previous unreached people group. That means a group where there previously were no known believers and no established um, gospel movement. And so as we were listening to them, we were, we were all in. We loved them. They loved us. It was a perfect team. Personality-wise, our personalities fit much more with this group of pioneer workers as opposed to people who were um, kind of structured in personality of a different type. Not that that's wrong, just different. And so we came home, and we were all in. Gina was willing to move. And for those of you who have been there, that's, you know, we have probably about five or six guys from the church who have been there, um, and you know my wife. You know that it's a miracle that Gina is willing to move there. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. No running water, these sorts of things. Okay? So anyway, we came home, and then everything slammed to a stop. It felt like our organization was dragging their feet. We would send emails that would get lost. We would mail in packets of paperwork that would never arrive. And for the next two months, we grew increasingly frustrated. Every time we tried to do anything, it kept just stopping. And it didn't feel like spiritual war warfare. It felt like you were trying to fight against God. That's how it felt. But we didn't understand. We didn't understand because so few people are willing to go to these places. And why would God say no if we were willing to go? It didn't make any sense. It was about this time that we began to feel stirred for the church in Cape May County. I wasn't planning on getting emotional. We had many friends who had no desire to worship, no desire to go to church, even though we were believers. We had people who weren't being equipped. We saw churches that were not discipling their people. Instead, they were just having a nice Sunday morning. And separately from each other, without talking about these things, we began to feel, God, do you want us to do something about this? Now, you have to remember... My wife just agreed to move to the bush. And so on a scale of zero, being not at all, to ten, really excited, and then knowing who I am, where 
Some of you know me better than others, but my hobby is collecting hobbies. I changed my mind a lot. I was very afraid to tell Gina that I was wondering if we shouldn't go back on the mission field. Because she had just agreed. <laughs> you following me? So on December 21st, 2011, I um, sat Gina down at the island at Steve and Bonnie's house. And I said, what do you think about staying in Cape May County and trying to plant a church? And Gina, amazingly, had been thinking the same thing. Now, you have to remember, I never wanted to plant a church. Um, I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to jump through all of the hoops of what I consider to be American churchianity, you know, with smoke machines and flashing lights, spinning drum sets fake smiles, like I just wasn't interested in that. I wasn't interested in it at all. Matter of fact, it nauseated me. And, um, you know, I'm not the most extroverted, amiable person. And I was just, all I wanted to do was live out of a backpack with a machete. <laughs> so that's all I wanted in life. And if you ask my parents, that desire it's pretty astounding considering who I was before I met Christ. Because before I met Christ, I was content to probably live in my parents' basement and play video games until I died. Right? But as soon as we vocalize this desire to one another, the same day our mission agency called us and they said they were canceling our onboarding because we were the only people who signed up and it was an excessive use of resources to just train one family unit. And so they were gonna push us back from March until September. And for us, that was just really frustrating and it felt like confirmation. So the next day, I did what any God-fearing, spirit-led person would do. I Googled church planning. <laughs> <laughs> and in the top three things that came up was Acts 29, which is a church planning network. Some of you guys might know Matt Chandler. He's the president of uh, Acts 29 right now at Village Church in Texas. And, and I read through it. I didn't know who Matt Chandler was. I had been living overseas. Um, I still only heard like two of the sermons in my life. And I just said, I oh, we agree with their doctrine, and I like the fact that they're not going to tell us what to do. And so uh, we applied. And we also said to each other, we're both going to read this book called Church Planning by a guy who's now passed away, Darren Patrick. And we said, let's read it separately, and we'll come together in two weeks or a week, and we'll say, is this from the Lord or is this not from the Lord? And we both read it. And on January 2nd, 2012, we called our mission agency and resigned. Now, Breton joked about that, and let me just say that um, I know Breton said the elders, you know, don't know what they're doing. I think you guys are awesome. And when we had our prayer meeting last week, um, before the book club, half of the people there, when I said, what are you most thankful for over the last 10 years? Half of the people thanked God that they had elders who are actually engaged in ministry instead of some distant figurehead who makes decisions somewhere. 
And so, cheers to you guys. Now that being said, the first year, maybe more than the first year, we had no idea what we were doing. Um, this is what we did know. I knew by conviction, we knew by conviction, Ephesians 4.12, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I knew that. And based upon what our work was overseas and the training we had received in Southeast Asia, we knew that every follower of Jesus needed to be equipped to hear and obey. Now, if you were around in previous years on our wall, we had hear, embrace, and share because early on we were afraid people would be scared by hear and obey, but now we don't care anymore. And so hear, obey, and share. We knew followers of Jesus needed to hear, they needed to obey, and they needed to share. And we knew that if we wanted all followers to hear and obey and share on their own, with their family, with their friends, that we needed to somehow try to start a church that was going to be decentralized, meaning organic and grassroots. And so if you ever wondered why Revolve doesn't do anything, that's why. Because if you provide the program, guess what happens? People don't do the decentralized. In other words, if you say, we're going to throw a big concert for an outreach, everybody waits until it's time for the yearly outreach to do anything evangelical. And so we just decided, well, we're not doing anything. And people said, Bill, you're a jerk. And I said, well, we're not doing anything. It might be a 10-year-old failed experiment. I don't think so. You see, if everyone is doing the work, not only um, do they need to be equipped, but it means that it needs to be simple, it needs to be reproducible, it needs to be scalable. Because if preaching is the only way that we can make disciples, what does that mean for the vast majority of people in this room who will never preach? And so everybody needs to be equipped to hear, obey, and share in simple, reproducible ways so that everybody can be faithful because Ephesians 4.12 says it's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And if I don't equip you to do the ministry, then technically I'm not doing my job. And I'm going to be held accountable before God for that, even if it gives me, you know, it makes me feel good if I'm just doing more stuff. So we dreamed of a church that would be full of spiritual producers instead of spiritual consumers. We dreamed of a church where people were equipped to invite their neighbor to read the Bible if they're faith curious and not just invite their neighbor to a faith event. So there's nothing wrong with that too. We knew we wanted to target young people and families because we knew that was the absent generation. And we knew, based upon our previous tenure in ministry, we knew what we wanted to value. We knew we wanted to value financial generosity and frugality. Um, my sister had worked at a church, a mega church, that had spent a lot of money on stuff. And it just didn't sit right with me. That Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it seemed to me that if you spend a dollar on yourself, you should spend a dollar on other people. 
But we're in a country where the average donation for missions is 2% of the total budget. That made us a little weird. We knew we wanted to operate with complete glass door transparency. That we wouldn't be embarrassed to share anything from our salaries to our expenses. We knew we wanted to not abuse our volunteers because so many people had been turned off by their churches because of the way they were treated. And in the words of my friend Reed, who was my main mentor as we were planting, we knew we didn't want to just plant a church. We knew we didn't want to just plant a service. We wanted to plant a church family. And we knew, thinking about Southeast Asia and everything that we had learned, that this needed to be done in a way that was reproducible and simple or biblical, or otherwise it would be entirely reliant on one person or two or three people. So, two weeks later, <laughs> on January 15, 2012, we began praying for very specific things. Some of you guys knew you back then. We began praying for a good, healthy departure from our current church where we were attending. We began praying for team unity. And of course, back then, our team was Steve and Bonnie. Because Steve and I were always getting in fist fights. Just, I'm just kidding. But we began praying for team unity of any team God brought. And the reason why is because sometimes um, when you're starting something new, you tend to attract problem people. Which is evidence in the fact that Brett was one of the first people in the night. It's a joke. Megan's like, amen. <laughs> we didn't know where to begin, so we started praying for that. We didn't have any money, so we started praying for that. We knew that people didn't want to just hear a guy singing and playing bass, so we started praying for a worship team. A worship team who weren't just musicians, but a worship team that truly loved Jesus and valued that more than the music. Amen. We started praying that God would make us devoted to prayer and the spirit rather than gimmicks. We prayed that people would not just come but get saved and be discipled. And at this point in time, we had none of those things. Well, in February, we explored a local church that wanted to hire a new pastor. We applied, but I think it's safe to say some of them wanted me and some of them didn't. As we received complaints about my abruptness, my age, I was 30, my instability, since we left Spain prematurely and, in their words, quit, and apparently my fashion sense. It's a true story. Well, anyway, by the beginning of March, this is three months, by the beginning of March, we decided to forget about the idea of joining an existing church. And so on, on March 3rd, 2012, I was invited to speak up at Fusion, which is like a church in Summer's Point, or Egg Harbor, I forget where they are now. I was invited to speak at Fusion's Young Adult Service, and um, it just so happened that three young people from North Cape May were there. Jason and Melissa Tozer, and Brett and Palmer. And they were eager to hear about the fact that there might be a new church plant in North Cape May. Well, during the rest of 
Acts 29, or during the rest of March, rather, um, God provided in miraculous ways. Um, Acts 29 approved us as church planning candidates. Now you have to realize Acts 29, their application took me 90 hours to fill out. Just to give you an idea of how strong, back then it was even worse. The front door is so strong. 90 hours to fill out their application. They approved us and they wanted us to come to Dallas for boot camp at the Village, village Church. Two people who attend this church paid for us to go. If you attend this church now, they attended the other church then. Another person donated $700 to cover our incorporation cost as an organization. I met this guy named David McCumber who said he wouldn't come to Revolve, but he kind of wanted to. <laughs> but he did come with me and Breton and Jason and others to Honduras. And while we were there drilling a well, we had a lot of good talks about ministry and mission. And people began actually supporting us even though they didn't live here. In April, we had our first official prayer meeting. The Tozer surprised us by staying until 9.30, just hanging out. Another couple came, Mike and Leslie, and although they never came to Revolve, God used them to open up a door that allowed us to meet in Green Creek Fire Hall for free for the first six months. On April 11th, we had another prayer meeting. And we were praying for a team of biblically solid core leaders. And we were praying for a worship team. And we were praying for free sound equipment. And just then the phone rang, and Gina went to get it because she thought it was a motel reservation. And then she came back out, and it was a guy named Paul who said he found a bunch of sound equipment in his closet, and he wanted to know if we wanted it for free. <laughs> While we were praying for free sound equipment. Yeah. In May, we had our first information, information session. We had 18 people show up to our first info session. In June, we had our first time of worship together at Green Creek Fire Hall, which is what we're celebrating today. And God continued to bless us with finances. It turns out that Jason and Bretton both knew how to play instruments. And so he gave us a, but our hearts were in the right place. Continued blessing with finances. He provided a worship team, and he provided supplies. We had people who donated projectors, pipe and drape, all kinds of stuff. There was a church in northern New Jersey named Jacob's Well that said they would support us $1,000 a month. God had given us a great core of people, even if it was just 10 of us or 12 of us, and a free place to meet. About... A couple months later, in November, Green Creek nicely asked us to find a new home. And so we said, you're dead to me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we researched options upon options. Sound familiar? <laughs> but nothing worked out. Just then, someone reached out to us and said, hey, why don't you come meet in the Shalimar Motel until the summer? Because... They can meet there all winter long. And so in January, we moved to the Shalimar Motel. Ragtag group of 20 people went to Wildwood Crest. And that's where Bretton met his wife to be, or his wife to be at the time, Megan's wife now. That's where Bretton met Megan. We wondered why all of a sudden Bretton was like shaving. And <laughs> 
So anyway, we kept researching, look, because we knew we only had until May, and then we were going to get kicked out of Lower Cape May, or get kicked out of uh, Chalmar. And so I applied to go to Lower Cape May Regional, and they got my paperwork, and I was scheduled to go to the board meeting. I had my thing, and then I went to the board meeting, and they forgot to put me on the agenda. So I sat there for three hours. Now, I knew that we needed money if we were going to rent a location, and so I reached out to a guy um, named Joby, who's at a church in Jacksonville Beach called um, Church of 1122. Now, let me tell you a little something about 1122. 1122 started as like a young adult service inside an existing church down in Jacksonville Beach, and when I first met Joby, Gina's sister, Angela, and her not husband at the time, but her husband now, Jerry, um, they were attending 1122. There's like a 200 people, 250 people, something like that. And eventually they grew, they were like 400 people, and they were like, we're going to plant. So uh, Beach United Methodist was going to send Church of 1122 out as a church plant. And so Jovi and I, we were applying for 1120, or for Acts 29 at the same time. And we actually sat next to each other at boot camp in, um, in uh, Dallas. And there was like a mix-up with the sermons. And they had, everybody had been assigned a sermon to preach like at the boot camp um, about different things related to church planning. And two guys accidentally got the same topic. And the topic was uh, John 3, where John's followers come up to John and they say, hey, John, everybody's going to Jesus' church and they're leaving your church. And John goes, I must decrease, he must increase. And just by the sheer, I mean, you could preach that passage in a lot of different ways, right? By sheer coincidence, both guys who preached that sermon passage preached about how you have no control over your domain, and if God wants it to shrink, what matters is your faithful. And if God wants somebody else's domain to be a megachurch, so be it. And Joe B and I were sitting next to each other, and I was like, yeah, Joe B. Me and you, buddy. <laughs> well, by the time Joby had their launch in September, there was 1,200 people out there. <laughs> um, now, 1122 is like one of the biggest churches in America or something like that. It's got like 15,000 people. He's on Right Now Media, you know, that kind of stuff. You and me, Joby. <laughs> Apparently, those sermons were for me. Not to compare myself with Joby, but instead just be faithful to what God had given us. Thanks, Steve. It doesn't bother me. Anyway, let's see, where am I? So I asked Joby, I said, Joby, can I have $24,000 a year? <laughs> and like decrease it 25% a year. I didn't hear anything back. I don't know why. Well, towards the end of February, I signed a three-year lease in the old Blockbuster in North Cape May, which if some of you guys know is our previous kid space. We met for free for almost a year, so we had like $20,000 saved or something like that. And I figured, well, we could pay for it for four months. Worst case scenario, they paid my house. <laughs> and um, so I signed the lease. And the next day, Joby called me and said he was going to give us $24,000 saved. In May, another donor said that he would give me $200 a week so I could transition from working two jobs and just focusing on the church, because I was like splitting my time. Well, the second Sunday in June, we had our official 
like service in Blockbuster, and um, there was 45 people present. The second Sunday, or the next Sunday, by the second Sunday in July, we had 70. By mid-August, we had 95, and now we are officially over fire food. In October, the We Buy Gold store bought all the gold in the county. <laughs> and then Gina said, hey, we should lease that space. Now, um, that was our old worship center, and if you went in there before we leased it, it was just a, a wooden folding table in the middle of the room. That was his We Buy Gold office. It's not shady at all. And so we, we leased that space, and we made that into our worship center, and I finally had an office for 1.5 months until we needed it for toddlers, and then I was without an office again, which has been the case for 10 years. Well, by December 3rd, 2013, one year, one year, after we had started praying about church planning, we were in our fourth space. We had 115 adults and kids, and we were seeing leaders grow and develop, and that was the first year. Now, I don't share this for any bragging purpose. Let's revisit that prayer list. We prayed for a good break from our current church. God answered that. Matter of fact, I'm currently about to start a hub training with a pastor from that church. Um, team unity, answered. Direction and how to begin, answered. Financial provision, answered. A worship team, answered. Devotion to the prayer and the spirit rather than gimmicks, answered. People come, coming, getting saved and discipled, answered. At this point in time, we, uh, previously we had no people, no living space, no funds, nothing, and God answered all those prayers. Now, that's just the first year. I don't have time to tell you guys about the next nine. I can tell you this, there's been a lot of pain. I don't know if you guys know this, but when you plant a church at the age of 30, you're still 30. I had no church experience. I think it's safe to say I don't think I had attended a healthy church prior. I had no leadership experience. I had no conflict resolution experience. And at times that was obvious. I know that I hurt people accidentally, but I always tried to make amends. And we were hurt a lot too, with key leaders and friends deciding to move on, but the Lord is faithful, and we wish them all well, honestly. But there's also been a lot more joy. See, when all is said and done, Revolve, I think we've baptized over 100 people in the last 10 years. By my estimates... We don't have a building, but by my estimates, on the conservative side, you guys have given over half a million dollars to church planning in the Middle East since, two, since 2016. You know, I don't talk about it a lot because I never know what I should say. I don't know if you guys realize, I, 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 got, I do a bad job keeping you guys in the loop. I don't deny that. You know, you guys have your hands in Egypt, in Iraq, 
The guys we came, we trained from Iran, their churches are now like over 15 generations deep. You have hands in Southeast Asia, in Pakistan, refugee camps around Europe, Afghanistan, previously communist Czech Republic. You guys don't know it, but you smuggled a family out of Afghanistan who had a death threat on their lives. We've sent out workers officially and unofficially. We've coached pastors and leaders across the world. We've seen elders raised up, leaders develop, people saved, and so on and so forth. We have a rock star team of volunteers. We have amazing leaders. We have enough for three worship teams. I mean, today, I was, look, three of our people up here today have degrees in music. I mean, we're so blessed. It's because God answers prayers. And so what am I praying for now? This is what I'm praying for. And we're going to put this on like sticky notes and put it somewhere because we don't want to spend a lot of money. <laughs> this is what I'm praying for. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so this is what I'm praying for. We're currently training pastors and leaders in the Persian world, the Arabic world, and the Urdu world, which basically those three languages make up most of Mecca, Middle East, Central Asia, North Africa. God has given us contacts from Germany to Iran to Pakistan. And so what am I praying? Locally, I am praying that Revolve would catalyze disciple-making and church rejuvenation across the county. I don't care if Revolve is the biggest church, but I do care that Revolve helps other churches get healthy. Two, that we would raise up the next generation of disciple-makers, that's our kids, so that when they turn 18, nobody needs to reprogram them because they were raised with a healthy understanding of discipleship. Three, that God would provide the perfect home for us so that we can accomplish his work unhindered and unburdened financially. Regionally, I'm praying that Cape May County would become a center of gospel light in the northeastern United States where people come for equipping, training, and then launching across the United States and the globe. I'm praying that God would allow Revolve to coach pastors and church planners who will be sent out across the United States. Globally, I'm praying that God would give us impact in the Middle East, Central Asia, and North African region that is immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, one that leaves a lasting and eternal impact on the Muslim world. And I believe that God will answer these prayers. And I would invite you to pray with me. Now, there's a lot that we don't have time to talk about, but we'll try to share more on the podcast this week, so I'd encourage you guys to tune in for that. And if there are specific things you want to know about, let me know. Gina is going to come up and pray over us, and Emma wanted to say something. And so, Emma, you want to come say something while mom's coming up?